So as uh, we've discussed uh, many times in the uh, in the past, that uh, Shaila is certainly Yontif time, so they uh, they come in waves, uh, in the sense that uh, in any particular year, all of a sudden people will wake up and they'll have a bunch of questions related to one particular topic. And this is something which, you know, at this point I could say like 25 years, nobody's asked me Shilas about this. And then all of a sudden this year, I get uh, three or four Shilas uh, related to it. So I uh, took that as a, uh, a simon mina shamayim that uh, might as well go ahead and look into the issue, at least uh, minimally, and, uh, and share with you what uh, some of the issues are, just so that, uh, you know, to be, uh, to be aware of it. So this year, uh, people are asking about yayin mavusho. They're asking about uh, using uh, cooked wine versus wine which is not mavushal and how to prioritize uh, different things in terms of whether or not it is a concern, it's not a concern, what the issue is. Um, <coughs> not that we're going to go into, <coughs> into all the details of that shaila, but one uh, you know, interesting shaila which, which I got, which I'm still in the midst of, of researching, is that there's a uh, halacha brings down that there's an advantage to use red wine over white wine. So a person wanted to know what happens if I have red wine, which is mavushal, mavushal assuming that it's somewhat inferior, and white wine, which is not mavushal. So each one has a maila and a chisarum. Red wine is better than white wine, but uh, non-mavushal is better than mavushal. So when you have to go ahead and cross wires like that, so which one is going to be the, uh, the higher priority? So there's many issues related to that, and a lot of it has to do with uh, manufacturing and stuff of that sort. And usually when Shilas re- revolve around technical issues and manufacturing issues, I usually try and st- shy away from that because there's way too much research, technical research which needs to be done in order to be able to address that, that, that fully. So I'm going to ultimately rely on what other people tell me as far as, uh, as, far as that. But we still have the question of what's going to be, uh, what's the issue with Yain Ruvushal and pasteurized wine, and is it something which somehow loses some of its importance because it's uh, it's been pasteurized or it's been cooked, or it really has uh, no I- impact halakhically whatsoever? So that's what we're going to try and uh, explore tonight. And with that, so we'll get started with the uh, with the sources. They're on the uh, they're on the screen in front of you. Yes. Oh, sorry, I didn't, well, scroll down. Okay. So uh, the Gemara definitely has an idea, uh, as all of you uh, are familiar with, that there's a concept of yayin nesach. So back in the time of Chazal, apparently, it was a common and a frequent thing for non-Jews, for idolaters, to take wine and pour it as some sort of libation in front of, before their avodah And uh, anybody who's learned through uh, Masechus avodah or is minimally familiar with these halachas, so once something is used for the purpose of service of Avodah so it becomes prohibited not only for consumption, it becomes prohibited for benefit as well. So that is, that's one halacha, that's going to be Yayin that's wine, which we know was used as uh, in the service of Avodah Then Chazal came along and they, they said there's such a thing called Stam Yenam. Stam Yenam is wine which belongs to an idolater, I don't have any hard evidence that this particular wine was used in the worship of Avodah but the assumption, certainly in the time of Chazal, was that what else is a, an idolater going to use his wine for other than in service of Avodah 
And therefore, Stam Yenam is something which is unique. As we're going to see in some of the sources, that it is something which was uh, the assumption that, that it acquires not only a prohibition of consumption, but there's also going to be this rabbinic prohibition of benefit. So it's a very, even though it's a Durabanan, it's a very serious level of Durabanan that it would be something which is going to be usher for, uh, for benefit. So now with that background in place, that wine, and then even not only if uh, uh, the wine which, uh, uh, which is owned by Inanju, but Chazal extended these restrictions even to wine which was touched by Inanju. And that's why the manufacturing of wine or grape juice is something which has, needs very high standards in terms of hashgacha, because somehow in the process of going from a grape to the final product of wine or grape juice or grape jelly or grape anything which you're going to have, so if a non-Jew is involved in moving the grapes in any way and in the, in the, uh, actively involved in the processing or the manufacturing of the, uh, of the wine, that already makes it aser. So there's very strict standards which have to be followed. It's not like most other things that as long as you could control the ingredients, so you could slap a hechsher on it and you could say that it's okay. Over here, it's not just a matter of ingredients. It's a matter of was a non-Jew involved, actively involved in the processing of the grapes into wine or grape juice? And if the answer to that is yes, then it's going to, uh, it's going to create a problem. Can't put a hechsher on that. Okay, so with that background in mind, so the Gemara Navodas Zara says as follows: Shmuel ve'avlet havlyasui. So Shmuel in avlet, avlet is some idolater, some non-Jew. So they're sitting at the, you know, they're having the, you know, sitting at the bar or something like that. I don't know. And the waiter comes along and says, "On the house, you already paid your cover charge, so therefore you get a bottle of cooked wine." So mashche the other. So Avlait was, uh, was respect. He was aware of halacha, and he was very respectful of Shmuel. And as soon as they put the wine on the table, you see Avlait goes out and he pulls back his hand and says, don't worry, Shmuel. Rabbi Shmuel probably called him. He says, don't worry, Rabbi Shmuel. I'm not going to touch the wine. And that way you could enjoy it. And I'm not going to ruin it for you. Amr Shmuel, to which Shmuel says, eh, don't worry about it, Avlait. Hare Amru, because it's already been said by Chazal, meaning by the Tanayim, that when it comes to wine, which was cooked, so that it does not pose a problem of yayin nesach. doesn't pose, pose a problem of idolatrous wine. We're just going to you know, translate it very crudely in that, uh, in that regard. But he says it's not going to be a problem of yayin nesach. Why is it not a problem of yayin nesach? Because, as we'll see in the Rishonim in a minute, but the, the basic uh, idea is, is that idolaters were very respectful of their idol, and apparently their idols had very sophisticated palates, and they would only appreciate uncooked wine. Once you go ahead and you cook the wine, that inferioritizes it, if we could go ahead and coin that term. So you go ahead and you, uh, you, uh, you, you, you deteriorate the wine, you, you ruin the taste of the wine, and therefore they would go ahead and say, if they spoke Yiddish, they would say, that it's inappropriate to go ahead and use wine which is cooked for, uh, for a libation before their avodazara, and they would, know, they would never go ahead and, uh, and do so. Everybody here undoubtedly knows a wine snob 
who looks at like Joyvin or Rashi or the blue bottle wine, and they say, oh, you call that wine? That's, uh, that's soda, the, the, that's pop. That's not really wine. So in the same way, idols apparently had a sophisticated palate, and they would not accept cooked wine at all. And therefore, Shmuel said, Avlate, drink and touch the wine as much as you want. Just shove your hand in there as much as you want. It's not going to ruin it. I'll be able to drink it anyways. Okay, so this is the Gemara's statement uh, that Yayin Mavushal is not going to be a problem of idolatrous wine. That's, the, that's like the totality of Shas's address of this issue. Now, the Rishonim now come along and they try, as Rishonim are want to do, they come along and they try and put very clear halachic parameters in the, in the in structure to what exactly is involved over here. So we're going to see sort of like a summary of it in the, in the tour. And the tour says as follows. It says, nasech la, uh, I don't know where, why he keeps leaving out the ayin, but he says wine, which was uh, uh, poured as a libation before Avodah Zara, it's prohibited for benefit. So that's clear. The Chachamim Gazu al-Stam Yenam, Chazal came along and said that even regular wine that you didn't see was poured before an idol, they asked, they prohibited that as well. Mishum B'noseim, because Chazal were concerned about a secondary issue, which is the fact that if you go ahead and you sit down and you have a drink with somebody, so that creates a bond, that creates an intimate relationship between you and the other person that you're sitting at the bar with, that you're sharing drinks with. And anytime there creates an intimate relationship between a Jew and an idolater, so there's always going to be the fear of intermarriage. So they also asked it for that reason. Vasru Afbahana. And Chazal went ahead and they did something which is almost uncharacteristic. And not only did they prohibit consumption of such wine, but they said it's going to be prohibited for benefit as well. Even though by other things which Chazal asserted, they never asserted it Bahana. We don't say that milk, which a Jew didn't see, is going to be asubahana. We don't say that food cooked by a non-Jew, bishalakum, is asubahana. We don't say that we don't see that by other things. It's something which is unique over here. Vatam, and the reason is, Kevin Shayinessa Gummer Asubahana, being that wine, it's being funny again. He says, being that when it comes to the actual Doraisa of wine, which was used as libation before Avodah Zara, it's Asubahana, it's prohibited for benefit. So the, the rabbinic enactment, the rabbinic decree is going to replicate the Doraisa in the worst case scenario, as if we always treat wine, which was manufactured or touched by a non-Jew, as if it was used for the service of idolatry. And therefore, And Chazal came along and said that once a non-Jew even touches our wine, so it's already enough to prohibit it for benefit. In touching it, it's important to realize that touching it doesn't mean literally that the non-Jew stuck his finger or his hand into the wine, but even we hold any movement of the wine whatsoever. So if the non-Jew goes out and shakes around the bottle, Right, you go to the bar, James Bond goes to the bar and he says, shaking, not stirred, or something like that. So shaking it alone is already enough. That's movement of the wine, and that also is going to prohibit it for benefit. So it's very, very strict as far as this is concerned. Um, okay, now, Aval Harash Bam Kasa Bishem Rashi. 
So now we're name dropping over here. The Rashbam, the grandson of Rashi, quotes in the name of his Zaydi Rashi, who says in the name of the Gaonim, the Bizman is that in Israhana Nachri, He says that nowadays, so we're not going to go ahead and prohibit wine, which was merely touched by a non-Jew um, uh, in our times, in the times already of the uh, 1100s, let's say, whenever Rashi lived. Why is it that we're going to be more lenient nowadays than, it, than we were in the past? He says, nowadays, it's uncommon for idolaters to go ahead and to actually pour wine as libation before their idol. So it's something which isn't that idolatry isn't as commonplace as it was in the past. And even though there are many people who are non-Jews, so they're still not going to be, uh, it's not part of their, their worship to go ahead and pour a wine libation before the Avodah Zarah. And therefore, And he says, we treat them, and he uses the, actually the terminology, it's as if they don't even know what they were, they're doing. We'll just translate generally. And it's not going to be any worse than if a child, an idolatrous child, who doesn't really know anything about idolatry, idolatry, is if they were to go ahead and touch the wine, which certainly is not going to have a major impact. You're not allowed to drink it, but it's not asabahana. So the main thing that I, I, I want you to know from here, and I just don't want to spend too much time on this, is that already in the Rishonim, they're already scaling back a little bit the restriction, and they recognize that maybe nowadays, if a non-Jew merely touches the wine, it may be that it's usher to drink, but it may not be usher bahana. So he's scaling back. Rashi, is in the name of the Gonim, is already scaling back the Isser a little bit, that it may no longer be Asr Bahana because they're no longer so, uh, so, uh, so from, in terms of their, uh, their idolatry. Okay, let's leave that part at, uh, for what it is. And then the tour says, and this is something which we're now going to spend more time on. He says, Being that, the prohibition against using um, we'll call non-kosher wine is because of the concern that maybe it had been used, uh, the origin of this decree is that maybe it had been used uh, in the worship of idolatry. So lo asru So the only thing which is going to be included in this restriction is wine, which is actually fit to go ahead and to use as a libation. So only high-quality wine is going to be included in this. Therefore, says the tour, wine, uh, uh, wine nowadays, which has been cooked, which the non-Jew went ahead and then touched, so that's not considered to be that's not going to be wine which is subject to this restriction. So the tour declared, based on source number one, the Gemara Navodazara, that nowadays, that w- once uh, a wine has been cooked, so it's no longer subject to this Isser. And now here comes the key, and at what point is wine considered to be cooked? What's the definition of cooked when it comes to wine? Says the tour, Mishihirtiach uh, Al-Gabiyaish. Once it has been, and we're going to translate it right now uh, in the simple translation of things, we'll see if this, may, this translation may change, but once you've boiled up the wine, 
on the fire, you brought it to a boil, so that's now considered to be mavusha, it's now considered to be cooked wine, and once it's cooked wine, it's not subject to these, to these decrees. So that's what the Torah says. So the Torah tells us this, this idea, that, uh, echoing what it says in the Gemara, that wine which is cooked is not subject to the prohibition of yain mavushal, that even if a non-Jew were to touch it, it's not going to be a problem. And uh, the definition of cooked is going to be when it is uh, brought to a boil on a fire. Now, you, you may think that this is not so relevant, that this is not something which is so much halach lemaisa, but the truth is, is that when you think about it, every time you go to a chasana and a non-Jewish waiter comes along and says, do you want red or white? And you make a choice between red or white, which wine that you want, and they go ahead and they pour the wine for you. If that wine was not mavusho, it would be also for you to drink that wine. So the only allowance to drink wine at a simcha where you have, or at any event, where there are non-Jewish waiters who are there who are pouring wine for you, the only allowance to do so is assuming that the wine which is being served is mavushal. Otherwise, it's absolutely awesome. So you could actually check that if you want to make sure that the, the wine is mavushal. But uh, hopefully, uh, if the kashras agency is reliable, so the wine which they're going to be serving, whether red or white, will inevitably say on the bottle, yayin mavushal will tell you that it is, it is cooked. And that is, that is in order to uh, accommodate this, uh, this halacha, that we hold that once it's been cooked, it's not going to be subject to the isma. Okay. Now, on this, so it turns out that what the tour told us, that as soon as it's boiled, it's now considered to be yayin mavushal. It's considered to be cooked wine and no longer subject to these restrictions. The truth is, is that there's actually a machlokas about it. And that's why the Beis Yosef, as the Beis Yosef is wont to do, he doesn't just tell you the halacha, he tells you the background, and then he weighs in whether he agree, agrees with the tour or not. So he says, um, Okay, let's just, for time's sake, actually, because I, I know it's coming. So he says, the, the Beis Yosef says in his, the second paragraph, which we have over here, he says, So the Beis Yosef is quoting the tour, who says that the definition of Mavusho, the definition of cook, is once it's been boiled up on the fire. He says, sham harash. So the Rush says that in his commentary to Avodah Zarah, and the reason he gave is So here already, the rush now is connecting for us two different ideas. And this, again, this is the fascinating way that, uh, that halacha works conceptually, that you go ahead and you draw from one topic, one co- context to another context, because in principle, they're all the same. So the, the rush points out that there's an idea already in Masecha Shabbos about Bishel. We know that there's a prohibition on Shabbos of Bishel of cooking something. So over there, the Gemara says that once you heat something up beyond just room temperature, you, you, heat, you, you heat it up to Yad Soletis Bo, let's say. So once you heat up something on Shabbos to a temperature of Yad Soletis Bo, whatever that temperature happens to be, you've already violated the Isser of cooking. So the Rush says that cooking that, uh, that, that, that this idea 
that it's going to be something which is on the fire is because the rush says that in Masecha Shabbos, we say there's a machlokis, there's a discussion whether or not heating something up is bishol. But once you go ahead and you bring a liquid to a boil, everybody says that once a liquid is boiling, you cannot deny that bishol has taken place. And therefore, we're going to take that definition of bishop, which we know by Shabbos, which certainly is true, which is boiling, and we're going to apply that definition to yayin, to wine, yayin esech, we're going to say by yayin esech also, which should be aser, in the event that you cook the wine, it's no longer subject to that iser, because bishop means bishop. We're going to assume that there's a universal definition of bishop, and the universal definition of bishop is you've boiled it. He says, "V'chein kasev arayim b'shem agonim adkan." V'chein kasev b'sever ha'truma b'haran. Okay, so you have all of these we've shown him so far, which agree with the idea that bishul is going to be defined as bringing it to a boil. V'haran kasev acharei diver ha'rayvid, but the ran who also quotes the rayvid, he says, "Aval haramban kasev kishachaser al gabi ha'or mimidaso nasa mevushal." So here, this is going to be, and this is going to be a, a, a key definition. He says, according to the Ramban, at what point is the wine considered to be cooked? When you've lost some of the volume as a result of it heating up. In other words, that it's steamed up. So you started off with 100 ounces of wine. And now as a result of the heating up of the wine, you now have 99.5 ounces which remain, or you have 99 ounces which remain, but you've lost some volume of that wine as a result of cooking. That is, according to the Ramban, the definition of Bishel. And he brings a fascinating proof to that. He says, And the proof to this is Yushalmi, which says, that there's a prohibition. Remember that when it comes to the sacred food of Truma, that which the farmer is going to separate from his produce and give to the Kohen. So there's an Isser to go ahead and do something which damages Truma. There's an issue to go ahead and damage truma to put it uh, to cause it to not be consumable. So the 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 Yerushalmi in uh, in truma says that cooking wine is an example of something which you're not allowed to do to truma because it damages it. Why? Because you've diminished its volume. You've decreased its volume. You've uh, you've uh, you've uh, made it. Uh, you've uh, caused it to become less. So that, according to the Ramban, that's the definition of Bishel. Bishel takes place when you've caused the volume to, to decrease. And then he says, then the Ramban says, and this is also going to be a line which is important, It may very well be that these two definitions are actually the same. That bringing it to a boil, as where we think it now is, uh, boiling it, as well as causing a loss of volume are really the same thing, two different ways of describing the same threshold. I'm going to want you to remember that line. So I'll just highlight that. They're bringing it to a, a, a level of resicha, which normally we would translate as boiling. That's going to cause a decrease in volume. And that's going to be the threshold which you would have to cross with the wine in order for it to qualify as yain mevushal. And the significance of crossing that threshold, as we've said, is the fact that it's no longer going to be a problem for a non-Jew to touch that wine. So this, uh, these are the two definitions. These are 
potentially two definitions, which may actually be the same. One is boiling, one is decreasing the volume, and those two things may actually be descriptions of the, sa the same idea. Um, okay, so let's, so that is the, uh, that, that is the base Yosef. So how does Shulchan Aruch go ahead and codify this after seeing that there's a, a many Rishonim which have opinions on this? So says Shulchan Aruch, so this is in Yoradea Simen Kuf Chaf Gimel Siv Gimel, so Shulchan Aruch just says very simply, he says, if you have wine, which is categorized as Mavushal, and once it was, it was cooked, it was touched by an idolater, that wine remains permitted. You could drink that wine, not a problem. And at what point is it considered to be, what's the definition of cooking as far as this halacha is concerned? So he says also, he borrows from the, or, or, or cuts and pastes from the language of the tour, once it has been, been boiled on the fire, so that already now qualifies as yayin mavushal, and that is going to make it permitted for, uh, that if a non-Jew were to touch it, so the wine does not become prohibited. Give up. Okay. So now comes along, um, Oh, comes along. Do I have the sheet here? Um, mid 19th century. There you go. <laughs> mid 19th century, a famous scientist, Mr. Louis Pasteur, discovered that there were many living organisms that could spoil or ferment the wine. Just reading from an article I found. In 1856, Pasteur was called to investigate why the wine of a local vintner was spoiling. He came up with the discovery that bacteria is a living organism, and therefore, if one would cook the grape juice to 60 to 100 degrees centigrade, 140 to 212 Fahrenheit, it would kill all of the bacteria. Afterwards, if the vintner wanted to ferment the wine, he would have to introduce new cultured yeast in order to turn the juice into wine. So that is pasteurization, thus the name, after Kishmo uh, Kainhu. So pasteurization, so the question now became whether or not if you pasteurize wine, which let's say somewhere around 165 degrees Fahrenheit, or 175 degrees Fahrenheit, which is not boiling. So if you go ahead and you pasteurize wine, does that meet the halachic definition of yayin mavushal? Does that make it cooked wine? And then it's not going to be an issue for the non-Jewish waiter to go ahead and serve that wine. Or do we say that Bishel is going to be, will take in a sense the stricter definition, the simple definition of the tour in Shulchan Aruch, and the only way for wine to be considered to be cooked is if it meets the criteria of it's boiling. It's got to be 212 degrees or, or, or beyond. So what exactly is going to be the story with pasteurized wine? Does it qualify as yayin mavushal or not? So that now becomes the, uh, the, the question. And this is a question which, obviously, any uh, cautious organization which is putting a heksher on wine has to go ahead and decide what their policy is going to be. Do they consider pasteurized to be a level which is already meets the, the definition of cook, and therefore it's already uh, it's already mutter. You don't have to worry about non-Jews touching it. Or is pasteurization too low of a threshold, and it doesn't meet the criteria yet of yain mavushal, and therefore it's still going to be something which is a, which is awesome.
So here we're just going to see two poskim uh, address this issue. One is going to be Vishamul Zalman, he's going to be the stringent opinion, and then we'll see Rav Moshe, who is the lenient opinion, lenient in the sense that Rav Moshe considers pasteurization to already be Yayin Mavushal, and therefore, uh, as long as the wine has been pasteurized, it's going to be acceptable for the non-Jewish waiter to go ahead and pour that wine for you at a chasna. So now, Rav Shlomo Zalman, so he wrote about it uh, first over here in his Mincha Shlomo, Chelek Aleph Simen where he said that, first he comes out and he says, he says, he says, he says, it's possible to say, when Chazal initially uh, uh, enacted that uh, if a non-Jew touches wine, that it's going to be aser bahana, it's going to be prohibited for benefit, they excluded from that uh, enactment cooked wine. And therefore we could say, and even though in those times, nobody would go ahead and cook wine that was in a closed container. And nowadays things are different. And back then, as we said, that once you cook the wine, everybody recognized that it was inferior. And nowadays, that even when wine has been pasteurized or cooked, most people don't consider it to be inferior. And therefore, you should say that if Chazal were aware of what was going on nowadays, they certainly would have answered the pasteurized wine as well, because it's become so commonplace, and they would have done so. He says, and therefore, So if we were to go ahead and say, if Chazal knew what was going on now, they they certainly would have answered it. And therefore, it should be Aser. Rav Shomel Zaman says, we actually don't have the authority to go ahead and start double-guessing Chazal and start uh, uh, speculating that had Chazal known what was going on now, they certainly would have included this. We don't have the ability to do so. And come along and prohibit something which was not explicitly included in the enactment or the decree of Chazal. Generally, we shy away from doing so. We, we actually purposely and intentionally do not go ahead and extend gezeros. Whatever chazal asr, they asr. What they didn't asr is mutter, even though it makes sense to us that it should actually be asr. Because, because the rule of thumb when it comes to analyzing drabanans is, once something was excluded from the original decree, sulo havi iser. So that means, by definition, it was not part of the prohibition. And all we could do is, we could be, we could be mindful of what Chazal asserted, but what they didn't assert, we can't come along nowadays and say, we think that that would have been included in Chazal's Gzeirah. Either it's part of Chazal's Gzeirah, it's not. And since Yain Mavusha was not part of Chazal's Gzeirah, we should say that even nowadays, even though it makes sense, that it should be also because everybody's drinking cooked, almost everybody's drinking cooked wine, but that's not for us to say. Chazal said that this is not part of the Yisr. But, skipping a little bit, says of Shomazam, but for regarding this matter, we could say, meaning pasteurized, it's very common to find uh, pasteurized wine, and 
And even those idolaters who may be uh, pouring wine is a libation before their vote Zara, nowadays they might not even differentiate whether it is cooked wine or not cooked wine, because nobody, except for the, the very high-end connoisseurs, the, wine, the really wine snobs, are the ones who would differentiate, but most people are not. So it says of Mikom Malcolm, Kalen Shebe Pistor, Hanasa Bismanenu, Lomishtana Klau, Hatam Vareach. But he says the bottom line is, is that in the time of Chazal, uh, cooked wine would change dramatically the quality of the wine. It would taste differently, it would smell differently, and even somebody who is not a connoisseur would be able to recognize that the, that the wine has been altered dramatically for the worse. So that's why Chazal said that when you once you go ahead and you uh, inferioritize, I think that was the word we coined, once you go ahead and you inferioritize the wine, so that's why it's not subject to the answer. Nowadays, when we go ahead and we pasteurize wine, it doesn't have a major dramatic impact on the taste, the flavor, or the taste, or the smell of the wine. And therefore, it's very logical to assume that when we, if we were to go ahead and say that pasteurized wine is still going to be subject to the Isser of a non-Jew touching it, Roshomo Zaman speculates that that's actually not a new Isser which we are creating. It is, a, it is actually part of the original Gezeira, part of the original decree. And therefore, he, he doesn't feel that he's actually crossing any lines by saying that it's going to be Isser. And therefore he says, Asher al nira. Therefore it seems, says of Shabbosalman, that line of Shochanarach, that once it's been boiled on the, uh, on the fire, uh, it's no longer subject to the Isser of a non-Jew touching it. He says what Shulchan Aruch is referring to, what Shulchan Aruch and the Torah are referring to are very specifically where the wine becomes dramatically inferioritized as a result of the fact that you went ahead and you cooked it. Therefore we say, the came in Shenikar Nachri, Shenikar, sorry, I know it's going to do that. Being that, it is now discernible that the wine has been made inferior. Hanachri Yodesh is Emavushal. So the non-Jew is immediately going to recognize that this is inferior quality wine. This is inferior cooked wine. And it's in that case that we don't have to be concerned about the non-Jew touching it because even he sees right away, he just gives one whiff of the wine. He says, oh, this stuff is terrible. What did you do? Cook this wine? So he gets, a, you know, as a wine, everybody was a wine snob of that level. So therefore, everybody recognized that this is inferior wine. But when you merely pasteurize wine, where there is no discernible difference between pre-pasteurization and post-pasteurization, and you can't discern at all whether or not the wine is cooked or not. So who could come along and say that we don't have to be concerned about the fact that the non-Jew is pouring this wine, he's touching the wine or he's pouring the wine. And therefore, even though the non-Jew knows that the wine was pasteurized in order to kill the bacteria, 
But since it doesn't make it inferior, it doesn't ruin the quality of the wine, Shomel Zaman says this remains part of the original Gezeir of Chazal, and therefore he is adamant that he would be of the opinion that if the wine was merely pasteurized and a non-Jewish waiter pours that wine for you, he would say you're not allowed to drink the wine. That's considered to be a non-Jew touching the wine, and it would be prohibited. So at that point, at this point, hopefully you're saying, hey, if Shomel Zaman is so adamant about this, so why is it that we go to chasnas uh, regularly and the non-Jewish waiter is pouring wine as long as it says mavushal on it? And generally mavushal is mean just means pasteurized. Sometimes if you actually look, they're, they're, they'll have a little bit more commentary on the bottle itself about the temperature it was pasteurized to and which post they're actually following, which says that that temperature is, is going to be sufficient. But what we rely upon here in the States is Rav Moshe. So Moshe Feinstein, he is lenient as far as this, this is concerned. And he comes along, as we, as we said, and I was trying to dance around this a little bit before, and now you'll understand why I was trying to dance around it. So if you, if you were to ask me any other night of the year, what's the definition of Resicha, so I would tell you that that's boiling. And boiling is going to be at 212 degrees. Comes along Rav Moshe with an amazing Chiddush. And he says, this is in Yorodei Chel Gimel Simen Lamed Aleph. He says, maybe we should say, Lashon Shehertiach Sheberash, that when the Rosh says that wine is considered to be Yayin Mavushal, and no longer subject to the degree of Yayin, of, 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 of Stam Yenam, that as long as you are, as long as you're Hertiach, as long as you boil it, Shehu Bishir Yad Soletis. Comes along of Moshe and says, boiling in this context doesn't mean boiling, meaning 212 degrees where you have a rolling boil. What it means is you heated the wine to the temperature of Yad Soletisbo. So this is a lower temperature than actual boiling. Shezek Kore Rosech, because heating something, a liquid, to the degree of Yad Soletisbo, that's considered for halachi purposes that will meet the definition of Rosech of boiling. How do we know that? That if you look in, once again, borrowing from Hilcho Shabbos, Shin Yerches is a primary simon which talks about cooking on Shabbos. And over there, they use the term Roseach for bringing a liquid to a temperature of Yatzel Edisbo. Because as we know, as far as Shabbos is concerned, as soon as you heat a liquid to Yatzel Edisbo, you've already, the assumption is you violated the Isidarais of cooking. So it doesn't have to reach a level of boiling in order to cross the threshold of cooking, even if you go ahead and you, you heat it to Yad Soledisbo. Shekosavi says, There you find the language explicitly that as soon as you bring the liquid to a temperature of Yad Soledisbo, that already is called boiling. For halachic purposes, for Shabbos purposes, that's already called, called boiling. Shalachin mashma shemaskim hamagin avram. So the, the Magen of Ram who's quoting this Beis Yosef, it sounds like he agrees. Gamla Lashon Roseach, that you could use the Lashon of Roseach, even though normally we would translate it as boiling, in this context we could translate it as, it's hot enough that it's considered to be cooked, and that's considered to be Mavushal. Umash Magen of Ram, the Gam Ha... Okay, that part, we don't have to bring another proof. And he says that, the, so that's going to be his definition of Roseach. So he comes along, Rav Moshe comes along with an incredible chiddish, a chiddish to be mekil. 
that is, is that in order to qualify as Mavushal, even according to the tour and the Shochanar, who use the Lashon of Roseach, they use language of Roseach, it doesn't have to be boiling, meaning 212, we actually see a rolling boil. All it means is you've heated it to the temperature of Yad Soledisbo. And as soon as it reaches that temperature of Yad Soledisbo, that already qualifies as Mavushal, not only on Shabbos, but even as far as Yayin Esach is concerned. Rabbi Shaffel? Yes. And using the term Yad Soledisbo, is talking about actually uh, you don't you wouldn't keep your hand on it to touch it right that's what right. it means right so uh, suppose that a non-jew were to take wine uh and he were he was to open it at the table uh-huh. and the wine is not mavushal but uh, he is wearing gloves or he has a towel around the bottle Mm-hmm. does it um uh why um it would seem like that would be another uh workaround for this i've never seen anybody do this but theoretically from from Reb Moshe's uh definition or his understanding it sounds like that would not be a problem because the nanju had not touched it right so one of the things which you're touching is a little bit of a misnomer, because he said that any any movement of the, causing the wine to move in any way is also going to be is part of the prohibition. Mm. So that's why if the non-Jew were to put, if we were to, if you actually had non-mavushal wine, which the non-Jewish reader was pouring from the bottle, so he's not touching the wine at all. He could be wearing gloves and he could have a fancy napkin around his arm also as he's pouring the wine. Mm-hmm. But the very fact that he's causing the wine to move, that for this purpose is already considered to be touching. That already what crosses the, the line makes it, would make it usher. Yes, Ellen. What about the stock, the guy who's stocking it on the shelf? Right, right. So that's a, so w- w- when it's in a sealed container, so then we're a little, we're, we're, we're oh. make it as far as that. <clears throat> but, but, that, but that also, the, the, there are right. So there are people where you, where you can't have access to it uh, at all. So then we, we, we would go ahead and we, we would be, be lenient. But once you go ahead and you open it, so that's where, that's where we begin to run into, uh, into a problem. But the, the, the truth is, the truth is, is that there are some people, most of us are not machmer on this, but those who are very sensitive to uh, the um, uh, standards of the Arizal. So the Arizal had this idea that a non-Jew can't even look at the bottle of wine, at, at wine which is uh, which a Jew is going to drink, and therefore you'll find sometimes that people will they'll buy wine by the case, and in order to um, to uh, to ring up the order, so they take a stam bottle off of the shelf, and they'll use that. They'll scan that twelve times, and then the uh, customer will go ahead and take the closed case out of the uh, out of the store without letting the non-Jew even look at, at the bottle, look at the wine through the bottle. So it's a chumrah, which you don't see too often, but there is such a chumrah like that which exists. So we're not as machmer like that, but as long as the wine is in a sealed container, so then we're not worried about him potentially touching it. But once the wine, the bottle is open, so that's when, uh, that's when uh, things become uh, very difficult. It's it's a it, it, it's it's a shaila about uh, you know people are unaware of and there's there there's a little bit more workaround but there's a shaila about leaving a 
let's say, an open bottle of wine, or one where the cork isn't all the way through, we're uh, leaving a non-Jew in the house with access to that bottle of wine. Why aren't you afraid that the non-Jew went ahead and took a swig or something like that, or touched the wine, same way that you, uh, there's such an idea of basar shenisalimina ayin, that if you have kosher meat, but you left it in the domain of a non-Jew who may have gone ahead and used it and switched it with another piece of meat, so it becomes asar, so there's such an idea by wine as well. So leaving what we would what we would call an open bottle of wine with a non-Jew around and then to drink it afterwards, so it's a, it's actually a serious shayla halacha, what exactly the basis of that is. Is That's that not our called, topic right is now. Is that called yichud? It's called yichud, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So he says, so says, so Sir Moshe concludes, and he says, He says, it seems logical to me. That in order to be considered halachically, the wine does not have to reach any higher of a temperature than Yad Soledis. And now he says an interesting idea. He says, what about the idea that it has to go ahead and it has to, you have to uh, decrease the volume? So he says, he says that when we go ahead and we talk about the opinion of the other Rishonim, that in order to qualify as cooked wine, the cooking process has to decrease the volume of the wine. You actually have to lose some of the wine in the process. And he says, the Shach quotes that. He says, he says, perhaps that is, maybe that's talking about where it hasn't yet reached Yad Soledes Bo, so it's, it's, it's simmering, let's say, at a very low temperature, and nonetheless, if you leave it there for a long enough period of time, you'll actually lose some volume. That even cooking at this temperature, which is slightly below Yad Soledes Bo, if it sits there for a long enough period of time, so that could go, that could go ahead, and that could decrease the volume. Oh, shu yad soledes, vu od simen. Or perhaps the point at which the wine will begin to de- lose volume is the same thing as yad soledes. But those are two different ways of describing the same thing. And he says, just going to jump ahead over here, he says that um, an interesting chap he has, which uh, I, I appreciate it very much. He says, she'efshar didav achasi. He says some of the ge'onim, in some of the Rishonim said that the temperature of boiling, which Ramosh is now defining as Yad Soledesbo, as well as losing volume, they may very well be the same temperature. He says, as a result of boiling, so you're going to lose some volume. So says Ramosha, he says, why did the Rishonim need to tell us that when the water, when the wine boils, it begins to lose volume? Everybody knows that when a liquid begins to boil, you begin to lose volume. So why would the Rishon, we have to go ahead and spell that out for us as far as trying to define Bishel over here, that at the point when it goes ahead and boils, that may, that may be the same definition as losing volume. Everybody knows that when it actually begins to, to reach a rolling boil, it loses volume. So why would I need the Rishonim to speculate maybe those two things are actually the same? Those are clearly and uh, uh, visibly, everybody knows that those are actually the same. And why would the Rishonim say maybe these are the same thing? 
The only reason to speculate that maybe losing volume and boiling is the same thing is because boiling doesn't mean boiling. Roseach doesn't mean actual rolling boil. It's this lower temperature of Yad Soledesbo, or perhaps even slightly below Yad Soledesbo, which may cause that, uh, that, uh, that uh, loss of volume, even though you don't visibly see it, because you don't see this big cloud of steam coming out of the wine as it's, as, as it's boiling. And therefore, Moshe says that really all of this is talking about at this lower temperature. And therefore, Avosha says he's perfectly comfortable with saying that whether it's 165 degrees, which he says in one tshuva, or it's 175 degrees, which he says in another tshuva. But either way, Avosha is very comfortable saying that pasteurized wine meets the halacha criteria of yayin mevushal. And once it reaches that, that, that temperature, so you don't have to worry about a non-Jew touching the wine or pouring that wine anymore, because it's now, it was not part of the original decree of, of Chazal. And as I said, here in the States, I think almost all, uh, most uh, of, the, uh, of the national hechsherim, uh, which give a hechsher on wine, so they accept this as a definition of mevusha based on, based on Rav Moshe. Rav Moshe, the Tzalem Rav, is another person who weighed in on this very, uh, very strongly. But in the States, we rely on this. In Eretz Yisrael, so there's a, uh, they, they, they lean a little bit more towards uh, Rav Shomel Zalman, and they consider pasteurized wine to not be mavushal. And sometimes you'll see, if you start examining bottles of wine which are manufactured in Israel, sometimes you'll actually see the phrase, rather than mavushal, it'll say mafuster. Mafuster is to let people know that this has reached a level of pasteurization. And whether or not you accept pasteurization is mavushal or not, that's up to you to decide. So they just go ahead and they tell you that it's at that volume. One last thing that that, that you that you should that you should know that's important that the, the post can discuss, which I, I I didn't bring down over here, but in the in most uh, uh, wine manufacturing plants, when they pasteurize the wine, so they do so in a closed environment. In other words, that everything is in sealed pipes and containers. And that way, even as it gets heated to whatever that pasteurization temperature is, 165 or 175, it doesn't lose any volume. Because if it's in a closed environment, then whatever heats up and seams up, hits the pipes, condenses, and falls back in. So some of the posts can say that there's a difference between pasteurizing just where you just put like the wine on the stovetop and you put it into a pot and you heat it to 165. That's different than what happens in the actual wine manufacturing plants where they don't actually lose any volume. They purposely constructed in such a way, engineered in such a way, where they don't lose volume. And some postings say, being that, they don't lose volume. That's how we know for sure that this doesn't meet the criteria of Mavushal, because they, they go out of their way to, uh, to keep the, uh, the volume the same. But this is something which I said, is a, as we said, is a machlokas between of Shomel Zaman and, and Rav Moshe. And here in the States, I think by and large, we are Mako like Rav Moshe. And certainly uh, all those places, as we said, when you go to a chasna and there, uh, a non-Jew is pouring bottles of wine, so they're relying on Rav Moshe's definition that pasteurization is bishal, and therefore it's not going to be an issue for a non-Jew to, uh, to, uh, to pour the wine. All righty. Okay, Gewaltik. Stunned into silence. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. All right, everybody. All, all the best. Have a good show.